1: Welcome in to the Friday edition of the Leach Report. Coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio here in Lexington. Cats host Alabama tomorrow, and we will talk about that. Also, the CBS Bracket preview show is coming up tomorrow. We'll talk about that as well with Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News and Sean Vensel from Hoops Insight. Wildcat news of the day. We'll get right into that. It's presented by Giuseppe's of Lexington and the UK board of trustees meeting today and among the items on the agenda will be consideration of some big projects that have been talked about for a while now. And that includes updates to the Nutterfield House indoor facility so that they'll have the full hundred yards and end zone to use for um, practices and then and construction of an indoor facility for UK track and field. And then some updates to the video boards at Kroger Field. So that will uh, likely get approved today, all uh, to be done with privately uh, all will be privately funded. So those of you who have been talking about that for a while, you'll get your wish today. Mark Stu, probably right at the top of that list. Uh, Kentucky and Alabama. Tomorrow, two weeks after the Cats won 66 in Tuscaloosa. The big stat that jumps off the page in that game is that Alabama made only three of 30 shots from the three-point line. They took 64 shots, and 30 of them were threes, and they only made three. And that was the big separator because Alabama actually had more field goal attempts, more free-throw attempts and points, and out-rebounded Kentucky by three. They did uh, a good job on Oscar Shebway. He was 4 of 13 from the field against uh, Betty Ako and had just 10 points. Uh, Kellen Grady. Bama, like Tennessee this past Tuesday, did a good job on Grady, uh, limiting him to five field goal attempts and 10 points. And Alabama really extended its defense out, again, as Tennessee did this past Tuesday. And the guy who really got Kentucky going and, and broke down that defense, got inside of it and made shots, was Ty-Ty Washington. Washington and Damien Collins were the only two Kentucky players to exceed their season scoring average. Washington had 15 in the game, and of course Collins came off the bench uh, and had, uh, what, I think 10 big points in that game and six rebounds. Uh, Xavier Wheeler did not score in the game. So it was, you, know, you look at back at the box score, and uh, – if you uh, covered up the 3-for-30 of the three-point shooting, you see a lot of other things that went well for Alabama. So uh, I'm sure John Calipari will tell you today how tough this game uh, will be expected to be for his guys, but he won't necessarily be blowing smoke because uh, Bama's won three straight since the loss to Kentucky, one of those wins over Arkansas. Now they've been doing most of their best work at home. Now they've got to take it on the road. Uh, Kentucky, we're talking about what Alabama did defensively. Kentucky played some sensational defense in that game. They li- uh, limited uh, Jaden Shackleford to six points. He was 0 for 7 on threes. He averaged almost 20 a game in two games against Kentucky last season. Quinterly limited to just seven points. So those uh, outstanding Alabama guards had rough days against the Kentucky defense in that game. So that will be the challenge tomorrow to get that defense back to the level at which it was playing two weeks ago down in Tuscaloosa. Jay Billis of ESPN, out with his ranking of the top 68 teams in college basketball. He has Gonzaga first, Auburn second, and Kentucky third. Among the eight teams he believes are capable of winning it all are those three, plus Arizona, Purdue, Baylor, Duke, and UCLA. Tomorrow, we'll get a look at CBS's, or at the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee's bracket preview on CBS. It'll be airing at 12.30 Eastern time as the lead-in to the Kentucky-Alabama game. I'm guessing Kentucky will be projected a two-seed in that after the loss at Tennessee. I think they could get back to the one line if they win out in the regular season. Um, Not a huge difference one way or the other, but one's better than two. And um, I think Gonzaga and Auburn are going to be pretty tough to knock off that one line. Arizona, to me, really hadn't done much, but they don't have much left to worry about losing um, so they may stay there as well, and so it may actually be Kentucky and Kansas kind of battling for that other number one slot. I was just looking at Arizona's uh, resume. They beat, I think, Illinois early. It's a nice win. Um, and they split with UCLA, and that's it. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, um, they uh, look like a pretty solid uh, spot on that one line unless uh, they get upset. Congrats to the U.K. women. Three wins in a row. They beat Vandy last night, 69-65. Dre Edwards continued her outstanding play with 20 points for Kentucky. So the Wildcats are trying to play themselves back into NCAA tournament contention, and uh, they're making a strong run here at the end of the season. So uh, good for them. Maybe it comes down to simply getting healthy. They played several games which they were really shorthanded through either illness, injury, or suspension. And now they're getting everybody, all their players, out on the floor. That's what John Calipari has said for his men's team. Get everybody healthy is the big key right now. We'll talk about all that and more coming up with our guests today, Sean Vinsel and uh, Mike DeCourcy. You can find the links to the stories that we talk about each day on the Bud Light Leach Report page at tomleechky.com. Our Wildcat News of the Day is the service of Giuseppes of Lexington. Giuseppe's has a fantastic menu. Check it out at Giuseppe'sLexington.com. Things like sea bass with lobster chili butter sauce, veal parmesan, homemade pasta, fresh cut steaks, fresh seafood. Every day of the week at Giuseppe's with live jazz music to accompany your meal every night. We'll be right back with Sean Vensel from Hoops Insight on The Leach Report. Can't get to a radio? You can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back into our show for this Friday. As we welcome in Sean Benson from Hoops Insight to the program. Our show served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. And, uh, Sean, you... um, break down the games, do all the uh, the analytics. So from Kentucky's last performance against Alabama just two weeks ago, what were the things that jumped out of the box score at you?
2: Yeah, definitely a, a couple things I had uh, noted coming into the game were that, um, first of all, that Alabama tended to struggle defensively inside the arc, you know, around the rim uh, in their big games. That's where they kind of fell apart in a lot of their losses, those a weak spot for them. Interestingly enough, um, they tended to do worse when Charles Bediaco was in the game. Shoplocker, who actually had a really good game against Kentucky, really frustrated Oscar Shebue. But overall, uh, Kentucky was was able to have more success when Bediaco was in the game. I think some of that is, you know, as a, a freshman, especially against a, a penetrating guard like Ty, Ty Washington or some of the guards Kentucky has. I think Bediaco has a little bit more trouble there getting the right assignments, whereas. Uh, Noah Gurley, the, the kind of the other alternative there, does well. So um, that that was interesting to me that that pattern continued. And I, I think the interesting thing is, I, I actually wonder if Kentucky might have kind of suckered Alabama into playing Bediaco a little bit more against she, Sheboy, which I think overall is probably good for for Kentucky. Second of all, something I noted was uh, both Javon Quinterly and Jane Shackelford had had some really unusual struggles um, coming into that game in, in transition, finishing at the rim, and, and you saw some of that continue, really especially for Quinterly. Um Shackelford kind of turned in mostly just a three-point bomber. But the interesting thing is Kentucky didn't allow as much of the, the open drive and kick three-pointers that you tend to see with Alabama. They tend to be very good at those those and then also off of offensive rebounds. Kentucky made more of Alabama's threes come kind of off the dribble or in um, kind of just the regular flow of passing the ball around the perimeter, and that's not really Alabama's game. So I was really glad to see that a couple things there stood out for Kentucky. But obviously, was, I mean, the Wildcats had a pretty poor offensive game, but Alabama had an even worse offensive game. So I, I think you know Kentucky can definitely do a little bit better this time right. around uh, on the offensive blast.
1: What you're talking mm-hmm. about defensively is uh, an example of what I think it was actually after that game Calipari talked about how this team may be the best one he's had at focusing in on the game plan and taking the, the coaching and putting it into – practice uh, on the court and executing what they uh, what they talk about in their practices. I'm almost certain it was right after that game. And I'm sure he was talking about the things you're talking about, how they defended Alabama. That's where I thought there was some, some slippage uh, Tuesday night in the loss to Tennessee uh, in terms of they didn't lock in uh, on the things they needed to do. Did a better job defensively in the second half, but offensively. something One of the, the things that always comes up when – Kentucky plays Tennessee As Cal Perry talks to his guys about how you've got to basically get into the body of the Tennessee player to get open. Then you pop out to get the pass. You don't just pop out to get the pass because they're going to be draped all over you and deny the uh, the pass, and they didn't do a good job of that
2: to start the game. That's exactly right. It was interesting for me that, that Tennessee game, one of the common threads of the season is Kentucky has played against a lot of teams that are really good at forcing turnovers. There are a lot of teams in the SEC that do that. Tennessee, Florida, Auburn, LSU, and Kentucky hasn't really had trouble with turnovers, really, except for the Texas A&M game, where it's mostly a severe Wheeler kind of off the dribble issue, and uh, and then the Tennessee game, where, like you mentioned, just a lot of kind of sloppy passes and letting the ballhawks uh, jump out there. But otherwise, I you know, so going into the Tennessee game, I actually wasn't very worried about. Kentucky having trouble because of turnovers because they just haven't done that this season. They've been, like you said, really smart at understanding kind of the gameplay and the little things you have to do to not let your opponent uh, take advantage of you there. So, definitely a little, little bit off the, the other night. There were, I mean, some of it was just Kentucky was un, just unbelievably bad scoring at the rim. Um, but there were some positives to take away, I thought, from the Tennessee game. Um, Kentucky did a great job rebounding again, you know, a nice bounce back there. Uh, Kentucky didn't really let Tennessee shoot a lot of threes which is a really good thing to do because that's where Tennessee's offense had been powered over the last uh, several games it was really a three and they they hit a lot of threes but they didn't get uh, they actually had their lowest three-point frequency of the season so it could have been worse for, for Kentucky and then Kentucky got to the rim a ton against Tennessee um, which is it's really important to show that they can do that uh, obviously those are those are easier baskets, and when you have guys like you know, Shibway and Brooks and Toppin, who are good finishers there, you need to put them in position.
1: We're talking with Sean Vensel at Hoops Insight uh, on Twitter and HoopsInsight.com on the web. We'll take a break, come back, and continue this discussion ahead of the Kentucky-Alabama game coming up tomorrow on the Leach Report Radio Network. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. 24 past the top of the hour. Chat with Sean Denzel from Hoops Insight ahead of the Kentucky-Alabama rematch tomorrow. Um, Kentucky has been much more efficient offensively this season compared to last year. Um, I've made this comment before that... Uh, our broadcast team was at uh, dinner a few weeks ago. We were kind of thinking back to last season, and I said, you know, really, Kentucky uh, didn't have uh, uh, much point guard, true point guard play. They didn't have a strong low post presence, and they didn't shoot well. So uh, it's amazing that they didn't win a lot of games, uh, jokingly, obviously. So this year they have outstanding point guard play with two players. They have a strong low post presence, and they shoot it much better. But beyond those numbers that uh, you can see out of the box score, what have you seen?
2: I, I think the biggest difference for me is uh, this year, Kentucky, as a full team, has been amazing at scoring, I'll, I'll call it, kind of 15 feet and in. Um, Kentucky, for much of the season, has been the number one team in the country in field goal percentage at the rim. Last year, I think Kentucky was around a 100th in that. Um, and that's a, obviously a huge huge issue because that that's an area where you can really differentiate yourself. And Oscar Sheba is a big part of that, but it's not just him. Uh, Keon Brooks, Jacob Toppin, even ty Washington Severe Wheeler until the last couple weeks uh, have been amazing finishing there. Kellen Grady doesn't get there a lot, but finishes at a really high rate when he does. And it's really not just in transition. In fact, Kentucky's just as good uh, in half-court offenses, getting there, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they play uh, a little bit more spread-out offense instead of having two post players, which bring defenders to the rim. Kentucky spread out a little bit more, and they're letting guys finish. Last year, for example, um, B.J. Boston had a ton of trouble finishing at the rim, a lot of the thing was he just he wasn't physically very, you know, very, uh, very strong. And when defenders are around the rim, you've got to finish through them. And so, if he had had a little bit more space. I think that would, that would have helped out. So that's the biggest thing. And then second of all, it's just that Kentucky is amazingly doing this while not being, not drawing many free throws, which is tremendously efficient. It's, Kentucky is really good at running half court offense. It, in fact, as good as, you know, Kentucky looks really good when they run with severe Wheeler, but l- looking back at it, a lot of times Kentucky's transition offense actually lets them down in big games a little bit more than their half court offense does. Um, I'm I'm just amazed at the ability for like Severe Wheeler, for example, to kind of control the game, you know, penetrate, but then back it out if he needs to. Obviously, when Tai Tai is healthy, he's just absolutely electric at getting you know those ten, twelve foot jumpers. And uh, I I haven't looked at the stats late, lately. It's a little harder to find them, but I think he's probably about as good as anyone in the country at hitting those short jumpers. Kind of reminds me of Emmanuel quickly when he was. uh a few years ago, and so it's just those those little things that Kentucky's doing in executing half court offense makes up for the fact that some of the areas that they've been really good at under Calipari, like drawing drawing free throws, just aren't as good this year. But Kentucky doesn't need it, and yeah, this this is you know this may end up being the best offense that uh, Calipari's had in many many years, if not the best at Kentucky.
1: What was the what were the the primary breakdowns from that that level of offense on Tuesday night?
2: yeah uh I mean the, the interesting thing is is you know in uh, in transition offense on Tuesday night against Tennessee, Kentucky really didn't just didn't look like a team that knew kind of was getting the shots that they really wanted um, you've got I and I don't know how much of it is actually Tennessee's defenders versus how much is just Kentucky uh, you know Kentucky struggling, but you've got guys like, yeah, Severe Wheeler, for example, has really been struggling lately in uh, in transition offensive, finishing around the rim. Um, I, I'm, I'm just surprised because that's an area that he's really, really been great at. But, I mean, like the other night, Kentucky got, got to the rim in transition. I've got six times out of 16 attempts. Um, that's just, I mean, th- that is not tremendously effective. So when Kentucky got shot two-pointers in transition, they were about three of ten. So just a lot of misses at the rim, a lot of short jumpers. When they shot threes in transition, they were much better. They're three of six, so it it's it's interesting to me. I wonder if Kentucky over penetrated a little bit and had you know defenders kind of on them and just wasn't quite comfortable, as opposed to kicking it out uh, and shooting. Kentucky isn't a team that tends to shoot a ton of threes in transition, but when they do, guys like Davion Davion Mintz is excellent at it. Um, Kellen Grady tends to be pretty excellent at it because he's he's a good uh, shooter off the move. So I'd I'd like to see Kentucky try some of that because. You've got a lot of teams in the SEC that are very good, especially after um, made baskets and after def- and after defensive rebounds. Those are areas where defenses can get back a little more effectively than if you, say, get a steal and run with it. And Kentucky's had some trouble trying to push the tempo too much against teams that are ready for that. Auburn, LSU, Tennessee, uh, Duke is very good at that. The... These are just, these are areas where Kentucky looks like they're forcing the ball a little too much, a little too deep in close to the basket. I'd like to see either looking to set up threes in transition or, quite honestly, even just getting the ball down there and then setting up your half-court offense. Because Kentucky actually, in um, after made Sean, baskets and after defensive rebounds, are better scoring in half-court. So, I'd
1: Hoops like to Hoops Insight on Twitter, hoopsinsight.com. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Halfway home, Mike DeCoursey will join us when we come right back on the Leach Report, served up by Wild
2: Eggs of Lexington.
1: This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at TomLeachKY. Another national honor for a Kentucky football player. As Josh Pascal last night was named the Jason Witten Collegiate Man of the Year. That award recognizes a record of leadership by exhibiting exceptional courage, integrity, and sportsmanship both on and off the field. I'm reading from the UKAthletics.com website. So um, nobody has shown more courage than Josh fighting back from uh, cancer. And so really happy to see him honored with that award last night. Can't think of uh, anybody who would have been more deserving. We welcome into the program now Mike DeCoursey. You read him at sportingnews.com. You see him on the Big Ten Network. And you can see his bracket projections for Fox Sports' college basketball coverage. And that's what we will start, Mike, because CBS's bracket preview show, the, they do one of these. Uh, this one's a week later than usual because of the Super Bowl being a week later than before. And so we get it tomorrow as the lead-in to the Kentucky-Alabama game. I would guess that Kentucky will be a two-seed in that. I think that's where you have them, right?
0: Yeah, I, I had them there on Tuesday before the defeat uh, to Tennessee, and I can I can uh, break the secret here. They'll be a two in this afternoon's bracket as well.
1: Uh th- If they win out, could they play their way into
0: a one? Yeah, I I think that, you know, when this stretch began with Tuesday's Tennessee game, I said that I thought if they went three and one in it, that they had a good shot. Now, some of that is dependent on what others do. Arizona, Auburn, Kansas, uh, what what do all they do? And if you're saying win out, and that includes the tournament. I'm saying regular season. Regular season, yeah. I mean, they would be in the mix, certainly. Uh, but I think that Gonzaga's won. I'm not going to say it's out of reach because if they lose, then I think it's imperiled. They don't have the, the overwhelming regular su- season success and strength of schedule that they have had in past years entering their tournament. Like a year ago, of course, they were undefeated, but a year ago, even with a loss or so entering their tournament, if they taken a second, they, they would have still been a one. But this year, I, if they take a, a loss, either in their Bay Area trip, they have to go to San Francisco and St. Mary's on the final week of the regular season, and then they have their conference tournament. If they take one, their, their one seat is in play for others to, to, to try to reach. Of course, Auburn, uh, the, their circumstance with, uh, with their schedule has been really meager uh since the, since basically since the Wildcats left town and and they, they went to Arkansas and that was all that they really had left that they should have a chance at losing it's just the way their schedule broke they don't have to come to UK they don't have to go to LSU they didn't have to go they did, they just didn't have a difficult SEC schedule so they should continue to win if they were to lose that puts them in play same with, in Kansas more likely to take a loss but they they have enough already enough baggage already that they can't really afford it. So all of those teams in Arizona, again, because of a weak conference, uh, uh, they have UCLA, which they've already been through. They they have SC. If they were to lose one of those, I think that puts them in play. So any of them are reachable for Kentucky if the Wildcats were able to close out uh, with five consecutive wins.
1: Just looking, I'm just looking at Ken Palm's uh, rankings now. You've got just in the top, Uh, 12 here you've got gonzaga arizona baylor uh, houston uh, ucla texas tech so i think it's half of that top 12 that are uh, east or west of the mississippi river it it seems to be that you know if kentucky even if they did take another loss they're going to be in a position strong enough position that it's it's hard to imagine they wouldn't start out in indianapolis with the way they uh, do the brackets
0: yeah, exactly. As I've done this, the only teams that want Indy that are in the uh, that are in the conversation, basically, for a top, you know, for a protected seed for a protected location, uh, would be Purdue, obviously, right down the road. Uh, Kentucky would want it, and Ohio State. Those would be the three, and, and and Illinois. I'm sorry, that's four. So there are four teams that are would buy for that. Illinois and Ohio State on my current bracket are two lines behind Kentucky and Purdue. So I, I, w- could could Illinois reach up to that level? Yes, but they would probably have to take Purdue down. E- either, either Illinois or Ohio State, in the process of reaching up to get a protected uh, uh, circumstance, they would have to probably take Purdue down. So I think Kentucky, as long as they take care of their business uh, down the stretch, and that means at least going – Three and two, four and one. I, I think they'll still be in position to to get that indie spot.
1: Some years, there are a small number of teams that seem to separate themselves. I thought last year, you know, it was hard to think Gonzaga or Baylor. One of Gonzaga or Baylor wouldn't be in the finals, and it turns out they were both there. Um, and the year that uh, Kentucky nearly went undefeated, Duke, Kentucky and uh, to a slightly lesser extent, Wisconsin, maybe Arizona were teams that – it was a pretty small group at the, at the top. You kind of figured two or three of those those teams would uh, at least make it to a Final Four. This year, to me, feels like it's uh, – you know, the, the pool of title contenders is deeper and I kind of feel like uh, we'll have um, maybe uh, at least one if not two a little bit of a surprise is maybe by the time we get to a Final Four. just I guess in general seems a little more spread out, the the, the quality. What do you think?
0: One of the elements of that, Tom, I wrote about yesterday, and I talked to John for this, uh, is the fact that usually, and you look over the last 15 years at the NCAA champions, and in that group going back, uh, really, actually I think it's even 16, 17 years, going back to Carolina in 2005 with Raymond Felton, Every single point guard, except for Torian Green, in the in the oh six oh seven Florida seasons, was either a McDonald's All American or a first round pick on its on on his way to being a first round pick. Every single championship point guard fit one of those two categories. Uh, with the the only other exception would be Ryan Archidiacano at Villanova, but he had Jalen Brunson standing right there, and he didn't need a lot of help. But if he did, he had Jalen. And then of course Jalen himself was that player two years later. And if you look at this year's, this year's uh, contenders, this pool of contenders, there's almost no one like that. The closest that, that, the closest that anyone comes is one Kentucky with Ty Ty adjacent to Xavier Wheeler and Tennessee with Kennedy Chandler. No one else on this list has that has that McDonald's all-american pedigree on the way in or likely first round pick on the way out and so I think that's what opens it up to a large extent because there are still teams that have great coaches there are still teams that have really terrific wing play uh, a penetrating wing play like uh, Jaden Ivey brings to Purdue uh, there are still there are still teams that are top 20 on both sides of the ball in offensive and defensive efficiency uh, they, every other category is it's still filled except for that one in terms of what usually wins championships and, and shot blocking, of course, would be another somebody to protect the rim. And of course, Kentucky has that. So one of the, one of the things about Kentucky is that they, 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 they don't have that penetrating trading wing player, that, that oppressive defensive guy or the guy that can attack the rim, but they do have everything else. So they probably fit more of the categories than a lot of the teams on this list. The one problem has been, of course, that they haven't been able to stay healthy in their biggest games. Uh, I think we've pretty well established that if, if Kentucky is going to win a national championship, they're going to have to have Wheeler and Washington on the floor, uh, not every single minute together, but always available because they haven't been able to win the biggest games when one or the other is missing.
1: And as you're pointing out, then the, you can read this, uh, column Mike's talking about at SportingNews.com. That's one of the the things that is a separator for Kentucky. So if you don't have that on the floor because of injury or illness or something, that takes away one of your big advantages. Yes, absolutely, no question. And I think it.
0: I think having uh, Ty Ty missing missing uh, exacerbates what I talked about before. That you know that Ivy type. You now obviously he's a a plus uh, example of that. But Kentucky has had. Scores of those players, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, they've uh, Darius Miller. They've had lots and lots of those players in the past. Uh, that, that wing player who can attack the lane a little bit, who can defend multiple positions. They've had, they have had that many on many occasions. In this particular year, um, it's not really, it's not really on the roster. So, uh, so Ty makes up for that because he can, he can hit the lane anytime he wants. Uh, and if you play him for that, then he could pass out. Uh, he's he's a really creative guy, so he makes up for a lot of what you miss with that, and he provides a lot of what other teams don't have in terms of that uh, that playmaking ability as the point guard, the the the, the next level of playmaking ability. There are very good college point guards all around. I mean, uh, you you've got guys like Kirk Kuechly at Arizona. Uh, I, I I think Wendell Green at Auburn is terrific. Uh, there are lots of those kinds of players, Colin Gillespie, of course, at Villanova, but there's a difference in that player, like, like I mentioned, uh, you know, a Hurley or a, uh, Wayne Turner or, uh, there are, are, any of those players, uh, that has that ability to create offense, to defend the basketball, to think their way through the difficult situations. Uh, those are, those are really important players and, and most of the teams that want to win it this year don't have that player. We're
1: talking with Mike DeCourcy and we'll continue the conversation after this time out. It's the Leach Report. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington, locations in Hamburg and in Palomar for breakfast, brunch, or lunch. at wildeggs.com to get on the online wait list. We're heading to Wild Eggs. We'll be right back. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Coming up next. It's Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones. About 12 away from the top of the hour as we visit with Mike DeGorsi from SportingNews.com. On Twitter, it is at TSN Mike. Uh, Jay Bellis of ESPN, uh, a post this morning that talked about, um, among other things in college basketball, the situation where fewer fouls are being called this season, and uh, there's not as much freedom of movement. Um, since Kentucky's win at Kansas, the M.O. for opponents has been to be very physical with the Wildcats. John Calipari uh, this week said he thinks that will change when they get to the postseason because officials officials are concerned about being able to advance through the tournament. Um, I know you've talked about the situation with fewer fouls being called this season. Do you share Cal's optimism about how it might change in the postseason?
0: Well, to an extent, yes. Um, not to um, not to the extent of the first round. Uh when when the refs have four games to get through at each site in one day, the priority is on rep- rapidity of of uh of completion. That's that's the whole focus. So they do not call a lot of fouls on day 1. And teams have to be ready for that and survive it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I watch, what's one of the interesting things about this phenomenon is that although I, it's, it's undeniable that, that fewer fouls are being called, teams are still scoring through it. I mean, I watched the Villanova Providence game the other night and I thought, like, is this a replay of the Super Bowl? I mean, it was unbelievably physical. And yet I, I as I, I recall, I believe both teams topped 80 points. Teams are still scoring. That's the weird thing about the way the game is, is evolved now is that when when, when this became a crisis uh, in 2013 and points were being produced at a level that had not been seen since ni- literally 1952, uh, that points per game in 2013 hit 1952 levels. There were I believe at the end of that season three teams that topped 80 points a game. Right now we have 23. So it's not it's it's a, it's a strange phenomenon. I think it has a lot to do with the with the further growth of the three-point shot. I do think the game has gotten too physical again, uh, but I've been impressed at the at the ability of teams to continue to power through that even with that increased physicality.
1: Hey as an aside you mentioned the super bowl it was like the officials you know were just late late to the game and just didn't show up
0: until about the last 5 minutes <laughs> that's true absolutely they didn't call anything no it was you know it was it was amazing i mean aaron donald got hit in the face uh, directly, you know, after he pushed Joe Burrow out of bounds, uh, one of the Bengals' offensive linemen came over, came over, not in the face, but in the face mask. Yeah. Uh, and he was right in front of the ref, and it's like, no, we're not calling that. That's 15 yards. We're not. We're not affecting this game. Uh, so it just went on, and then all of a sudden, they decided to call penalties at the end. Uh,
1: Kentucky uh, and they uh, lost to Tennessee on uh, Tuesday. What was your take on what you saw?
0: Well, I, the first part is, as I said before, that idea that they really are struggling uh, to be uh, to be there, the same kind of team when they're missing one or the other of those players. That so, uh, it Tai it, Tai and, uh, and 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 Severe Wheeler uh, not having those two at full strength uh, has been a, you know a real drag on the team, and, I, and hopefully Tai Tai will be fully himself tomorrow so that you can get a better look at, at what they are. When they are whole, they're pretty much as good as anybody. Uh, when they're not, they can, they can really struggle to beat the best teams. I don't know that they'd lose to a lot of the lesser teams. I think they can still handle that as evidenced by the fact that they were so competitive in, in the Auburn game for a lot of that time and certainly the LSU game. But I, I, I did think that Tennessee is becoming a much better team they really got stagnant on offense in late January. And I think that uh, that second half against Texas woke them up to the fact that they couldn't continue to play that way. Well, maybe the first half because they were so bad. But the second half showed them that they, could, that they could be a good offensive team. And they came back in that game, and they weren't able to complete the comeback. But I think that was a turning point for them. They haven't lost since. They've been a much more proficient offensive team. They've scored over 70 in every game since. I think Kentucky-Tennessee on a neutral floor in the SEC tournament would be electric. Uh, I think it would be a tremendous game. But I still believe at full strength, uh, Kentucky is a better basketball team.
1: Tennessee's guards are really good. At, like, like with Kentucky, those, uh, that guard play can uh, could take them a long way in March. Mike, thank you as always. and um, We'll uh, see you on Fox and on the Big Ten Network and at SportingNews.com. Thanks very much, Tom. Mike DeCoursey joins us on Fridays here on the Leach Report. Heading to a break, and we'll come back and close it out for this Friday on the Leach Report Radio Network. (music)
0: Mellow
1: Mushroom Slice of Wildcat History on this day in 2016. Derek Willis had seven threes and 25 points. And an 80-70 win for Kentucky over Tennessee. And have a breakout performance there for Derek. And on this day in 1950, Bill Spivey, 40 rebounds in a win over Georgia Tech, 97-62. to uh, Happy birthday. Uh, oh, no, that was actually one from yesterday, Al Robinson. Uh, so uh, we'll we'll wish it again for Al, but he actually celebrated a birthday yesterday. Um Kentucky Gymnastics, number 10 in the country. They will host second-ranked and unbeaten Florida tonight at the Coliseum. It'll be uh, shown on the SEC Network. Um, One other thing here I wanted to get to. UK Baseball, there it is. They are headed to Jacksonville for their opener. As uh, the uh, Wildcats get their season cranked up, they'll be playing here at home at Kentucky Proud Park in a couple of weeks. So uh, listen for UK Baseball today. On the UK sports network, UK baseball's Sean Harvey has been named to the Stopper of the Year watch list for 2022. Something I meant to get to yesterday and ran out of time uh, for. So for Tubby Smith, just I guess the, the right thing to do is just wishing him well in in retirement as he stepped down at High Point. Saw a clip that uh, Oscar tweeted out. Oscar Combs tweeted out. Last night of uh, Tubby and Dono watching High Point uh, in a game against Longwood with Gigi Smith as the coach. He takes over for his dad, so Gigi was the head coach for the first time last night. Uh, unfortunately, uh, High Point lost a close one to Longwood. But um, uh, nobody deserves a, uh, a happy retirement more than Tubby, so hopefully uh, he will... Uh, and Don will get to do some traveling or, or uh, and, and probably watching a lot of basketball, obviously. So best wishes to Tubby. And uh, good luck to Craig East. He takes on a new challenge coming back to his hometown. He was a star at Harrodsburg High School. Harrodsburg and Mercer County merged. And so he is the new head football coach at Mercer County High School coming in from Kentucky Wesleyan. So one of the all-time greats for Kentucky football. And we wish him well. At Mercer County, a uh, new O-line uh, candidate in the transfer portal. It comes from Western Kentucky, Cole Spencer, a name to watch. Reports I've read uh, indicate that Penn State might be the favorite for him. And congrats to Davion menz named all-district Thanks. academic All-America team uh, by the uh, Sports Information the Directors Association.